Morning, everybody. This evening, we're going to be thinking about storms, which seems probably quite apt after the things that we've been praying about this morning in church. We're going to be thinking about physical storms and personal storms. So you won't be surprised that I've chosen the passage about Jesus calming the storm. This story comes in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I've chosen to read Mark's version. So if you'd like to follow as I read, it's Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This passage is one of my absolute favorites. And it's not least because for much of my life, I've lived near the sea. For several years, Ron and I lived on a tiny island called Tresco in the Isles of Scilly. And mostly, the weather was mild and temperate and peaceful. But during the winter months, we experienced really violent storms and gales. Our little cottage was right on the edge of the sea. The granite cottages on the island are all grey, all except ours. And the Coast Guard had ours painted white because it was for the sailors to get their bearings as they came around the bay. We didn't have a lighthouse on our side. So our little cottage, in the storms um, at night time, the sailors could see where they were. Historically, there have been lots of shipwrecks on Tresco and around the islands. And indeed, we experienced an enormous cargo ship go aground when we were there. And during this incident, we learnt what wrecking means, because the entire island poured down to the beach and lined the side as it came in for the next two or three days, washing up tons of goods that came off this cargo ship. There were shoes, there were clothes, there were kitchenware, and there was toys. And it was quite an occasion. So, having experienced wild storms on Tresco, I had wondered, when we went to Galilee, 
whether I might see a biblical storm on the lake. But it was rather a disappointment as well as a blessing that the sea was as calm as a mill pond while we were there. So, to fully appreciate the story tonight, I did a little bit of research for us first about the geography and the weather around the lake. Lake Galilee is a freshwater lake. It's 13 miles long by 7 miles wide. The lake is 680 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by 2,000-foot-high mountains. At sea level, the semi-tropical air is warm and moist, whilst in the mountain tops, it's cool and dry. And there are large pressure and temperature changes which result in strong winds that come funneling down to the lake below, and the shallow water is whipped up more rapidly than the deep water. So with little notice, violent storms come tumbling down from the mountain. In Jesus' time, the fishing industry around the lake was flourishing. And while most fishermen only just eked out a living, it is possible that Peter was relatively better off than most because he owned his own boat and he owned a house in Capernaum. His little wooden boat would have been about 23 feet long by 7 feet wide. It could carry half a ton of fish or about 13 passengers, certainly big enough for Jesus to sleep at the bottom of the boat. They always fished at night so the fish wouldn't see them using flax or linen nets. So these first fishermen disciples of Jesus must have been hard-working, robust, and independent men. So we're going to just work our way through this passage in a little bit more detail, looking at a few ideas that I had of what it must have meant at the time and some ideas of what it could mean for us today. Verse 35, Jesus said, Let's go over to the other side. There are nine references in the Synoptic Gospels and two in John's Gospel to them all going by boat to the other side of the lake. So the disciples would have been quite used to doing this. It would have been a regular pattern in Jesus' ministry. So presumably they were quite aware of the possibility of a rough crossing. But then I wondered how these words applied to us today. Jesus doesn't only say, let's go over to the other side to his disciples. He calls all believers to go with him too. He's saying it to me and to you. Let's go over to the other side. Now, if like me, you like to be in control of things and find it hard to give up control, you'll realize that when you start to follow Jesus, it is giving him total control. We no longer decide on our own path. We go wherever he leads us. But I would suggest that too often, Jesus' great commission, go and share the gospel, has been reduced to, we preach the gospel here, so why not come and hear it? It's as if those early, radical, hardcore men have now been diluted into a religion, a religion of conformists, where the majority risk nothing, sacrifice nothing, and their faith is so safe and comfortable. And I really regret the number of years that that applied to me. In fact, the further I get into this theology course, 
the more cynical I feel about a lot of what I was taught and what I believed for so very long. But that was before God challenged me at my baptism. And that was before I realized that my going to the other side meant taking his love to such places as Millhouse or the hospice. So I wonder what the other side is for you. Perhaps he's calling you to leave your comfort zone, to go where the need exists, to go somewhere new, to go and do things which make you feel uncomfortable. Verse 36 starts, leaving the crowd behind. Well, that's really hard for some of us. Being one of the crowd is so easy, isn't it? It makes us comfortable and it gives us security and even a sense of self-worth. Being the odd one out, being a trailblazer, can be very challenging. But maybe that is exactly what Jesus is telling us to do. In verse 36, there's a very intriguing sentence, and it comes only in Mark's, um, Mark's story. It doesn't come in Matthew or in Luke. And it's this part. They took Jesus just as he was. And I find this really intriguing. Who exactly are they? Now, the traditional convention is that they were the male disciples in the boat. But I would like to have a look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. I don't know if we can... Thank you. And the t after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Herod Stuart Chutza. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this really exciting because I'd never thought of this before. Perhaps there were women with them too that night when they went out on the rough sea. Perhaps they had taken provisions with them. Perhaps they had also been on many trips across the lake with him before <coughs> because Luke says that they had been traveling with him. And it makes it easier for me to imagine myself actually in the boat with Jesus, knowing that perhaps women were in that boat with Jesus. Mark goes on to say that Jesus was in the storm just as he was. Just as he was. That day had been a hectic schedule of preaching, and in Luke's account, account Jesus' family had also been to see him that day. So it must have been exhausting and emotional for him. Just as he was. Perhaps it means alone without the multitudes, just his friends with him. Leaving the crowd on the beach so suddenly supposes he was completely worn out and just needed to rest. Just as he was. There's no mention of prior preparation or provision of food or raiment. So perhaps he was still dressed in the light clothing that he'd worn all day. 
but without a warm cloak for the night's voyage. Although you see, now I have this picture of women in the boat, surely one of them would have taken some food or a blanket, wouldn't they? (laughs) And so what about us? Just as he was, or just as he is? Perhaps too often we don't want to take Jesus just as he is. We invent a picture of what we'd like him to be like. We like Jesus to do things on our terms, not his terms. And we try to fit Jesus into our plans rather than hand our lives over to him. We try to put our stamp on Jesus rather than allowing him to put his stamp on us. But we don't have to be followers of Christ for long to understand that Jesus' way is far better than our own. And that's when we come to the central part of the story, which, of course, is a famous part, 37 to 39, Jesus calming the storm. The disciples were self-confident in their abilities, skilled in their crafts, and they'd faced many storms like this before. They were professional fishermen, quite used to sudden storms on the lake, but there must have been something different about this storm. Their human know-how was no match for the supernatural, Jesus was a carpenter, not a seafarer. So why did they assume that he would know what to do and be able to help them? I suppose they'd already learned from his miracles and his teachings and his conversations with them that, of course, he wasn't simply a carpenter. And in their panic, they asked him to help them. The turning point in the story is Jesus standing up and shouting into the wind and the waves, Peace, be still. And the sea immediately becoming becalmed. But instead of this calming his followers, they were even more terrified at the supernatural power that he was now showing. The apostles' lack of faith reminds us that even those who lived with Jesus found it difficult to be 100% faith-filled all the time. And in that way, they were so much like us. Well, me, anyway. Verse 40, this lack of faith was rebuked, and by extension, so is ours. When Jesus asks, why are you so afraid? He must have been so disappointed in them. He asks us to walk by faith, not fear. And all he was seeing from them at this point was fear. If he was with them in the storm, as Edward reminded us this morning, he's also with us in the storms of everyday life. He's with us in sickness. He's with us in job losses. He's with us in marriage problems. He's with us in bereavement. And in the same way that my little white-painted cottage gave sailors a safe bearing into harbour, Jesus provides the safe bearing we need to face and overcome our own storms. He never promised that we won't see storms in life. In fact, he told us to expect trouble. John 16, 33, In the world you face persecution, but take courage. I have conquered the world. He promised he'd be with us in the storm, that he'd never leave us alone in the middle of trouble, and that with perseverance we will overcome. James 1 verse 12, 
Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. This passage not only reveals Jesus' true humanity, but also his deity, because only God can make the winds and waves obey him. This can be immensely comforting to a Christian in the storm. Faith in Jesus is never misplaced. If he can calm the storms of the sea, he can calm the storms in my life as well. So this theme has been following and trusting Jesus in the storm, the one who brings calm into chaos. But as I planned this and thought about it and prayed about it, my thoughts were led away from the calm that Jesus brings And I started thinking about the storm that Jesus himself creates. So I'd like to suggest to you that Jesus can be a storm bringer. This God who has power over the elements is here in Jesus, God with us. The disciples said to each other, Who is this that even the winds and water obey him? And we might too ask each other, Who is this? What will following him really mean? If you decide to follow him, you accept that he died in your place, that your sins are forgiven, that he fills you with his spirit. But that's not the end of the story, is it? It's just the beginning. And it isn't always peaceful when Jesus appears in your life because he does bring a storm. He challenges you to go out and build his kingdom. What will it mean? What will it cost? Where will it take us? All our comfortable ways of living and being can be rearranged and reordered around him. Jesus, the stormbringer, he brings change. Our set ways are challenged, our orderly existence is disturbed. He said we should rejoice when we're persecuted. John said the world hated Jesus and we must expect the world to hate us. Jesus, the stormbringer, He tells us to pick up our cross daily and follow him. And following him is so much more than a comfortable seat in the pew. It's so much more than meeting with like-minded friends on a Sunday. I wonder if we cozy up to a comfortable outlook with our own invented Jesus that we can manipulate. Perhaps we've lost the awe that once filled our experience of God. His power uproots our expectations and challenges our convictions. But we have a choice, of course. We can turn our backs on his challenges. We can tell ourselves it's only the eccentric few that think that Jesus would want to turn their world upside down. Or we can ask him to dwell with us. We can ask him to lead us to ride the storm that will demand a change of heart and mind. Following Jesus, the stormbringer, will lead us into a storm because we will go against the tide of popular and public opinion. Following Jesus requires more courage and fortitude than anything else. Your friends may ridicule you. Your family may disown you. And in many parts of the world, your country will persecute you. Do we have the wisdom to pray for a storm and for the faith to ride it out with him? We may lack courage, but don't forget that a calm life can be boring and dull and predictable and empty. 
and that storms can be exciting and wild and energizing and transforming. Are you prepared to get into the boat with Jesus and ride the storms with him? I'm just going to lead us in a short, prayerful meditation, reflection. We're going to imagine ourselves in the boat with Jesus. I'm going to speak in the first person, but I hope that you'll hear my words as your own words. I will speak slowly, and there'll be a few pauses. And we're going to ask God to speak to us through our imaginations. So please, would you sit comfortably and just close your eyes? We are going to Galilee. I'm standing on the shore beside the lake. We're just a little way along from Capernaum. And I watch as Jesus gets into the boat. And his disciples follow. Oh, this is my longing too, to follow the Lord Jesus, to be with him and not let any fear hold me back. And so I too follow Jesus and I climb into the boat. All is peaceful as we set sail. And almost at once, Jesus lies down in the stern of the boat. He looks absolutely exhausted. And very quickly, he falls asleep. And now I'm aware of the sky darkening. The wind is beginning to rise. I can just feel it on my cheek. The waves are increasing. And now I can feel the full power of the wind against my face. I can hear the crashing of the waves. I can see water starting to seep into the boat. And I'm reminded of the storms in my own life. Storms in the past... Storms now. Everything feels out of control and I feel real fear rising in my heart. But Jesus just keeps sleeping peacefully. And then I see the disciples' fear as the boat starts to roll and pitch tossed this way and that by the storm. And with them, I too cry out, Lord, save us. Jesus wakes up. He looks directly into my eyes and he asks me, why are you so afraid? And slowly, 
From my heart, I answer him. I tell him about the storms in my life. I tell him about the storms in my heart. I tell him of the fears and anxieties that so often burden me. And I see him smile at me. And he says to me, just trust me. And now everyone in the boat is watching as Jesus stands up. He yells into the storm and he orders the wind and the sea to be quiet, to be still. And we're all amazed as the wind dies down, the sea grows calm, and we feel our danger is passing. And once again, I seem to be alone with Jesus. I tell him of the power that I just witnessed in him. I speak to him of the ease with which I believe he can lead me through the storms that are in my heart and my life. And I too marvel at the power in him. I tell him, I am ready. I am ready to ride the storms that a life with him will bring. I am ready to leave my predictable life and be energized and transformed by him. And Jesus hugs me. And as he puts his arm around me, I feel his power fill me. Please just keep your eyes closed, because the scene will be fading now no longer in Galilee, but back here together in the church. We're here, we're not in Galilee, but still filled with the power of his Holy Spirit. We'll just have a moment while you just think about what might have touched your heart and perhaps what you might have sensed the Lord saying to you. And then when you're ready, please do just open your eyes. If you don't remember anything else that I've said this evening, I do hope that you'll just remember this. Whether Jesus brings a storm into your life, or whether the storms are the troubles of the world, Jesus is with you in the center of your storm. Jesus is filling you with his powerful Holy Spirit. Are you ready to ride that storm with him?
If something has touched you this evening and you would like some prayer, please, after the final hymn, do ask any of the leaders or me. We'd be very happy to pray with you. So God bless you.